Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 55 of Zion's Finest. In this episode, I'm joined by Ben Varnum, my good, good friend and brother, who's going to be giving us a repeat strategy episode. I guess not a repeat, more like a sequel, a good sequel, however, as opposed, never mind, we're not even going to go there. Anyway, this is an awesome episode. I really love having Ben on. He is a brilliant guy. He is awesome at taking core concepts of IA that I know intuitively because I've played the game a lot and bringing them to life with like precise language that allows us to kind of digest the topics at hand. It's a lot of fun. I think this is an episode that everyone's going to really enjoy. We got a lot of really positive feedback about his chess episode, and this is that not better, but in a different form. And it's a lot of fun. I think everyone's going to really enjoy this episode, both new players and experienced players. Just the, the quick news is that we encourage everyone to, again to join us on the Slack channel. We're getting ramped up, ready for store championships. We've still got um, a few. There's like nationals is going to be coming up for the United States here pretty soon, not till the end of the summer. Mostly right now we're in store champ season. So everyone's experimenting with good lists, but kind of just eking out the last little bit of testing that they want to do before Lothal comes out. So we're kind of testing out the meta with those things that right now, you know, they might not have been super viable at Worlds, or maybe they were, but you just hadn't gotten enough practice in. So I've been working on this Jedi Knight Luke spies list that's been having a lot of fun. We had a really fun store kit tournament recently that I did pretty well at. I actually lost. Um, my last game was against Robert Mosinger. He's one of our awesome... He, you want? You think I run Jank. This guy is... He's coming at me with a uh, 10 activation scum um, what do they call Jawa Swarm man alive it's like Ugnots but worse it was actually really good though I mean my list is my list I always tech my lists to play against the meta so like people are running IG so I run spies right and people are running Vader so I run Luke who actually I think does pretty well against Vader just because you know you've got that card called Son of Skywalker and Luke can realistically put a lot of hurt on on Vader I mean you know it kind of depends on how everything works out but he can do well um I, I, but yeah, I, you know, we, we were playing the store kit tournament and I run into Robert in the last game and I just did not have, I did not have the firepower, I guess is probably the right way to say it. We were playing on shield and on Nalhada and he's got 10 Jawas and I've got, you know, realistically two, three attacks. It was, it was interesting. Those Jawas, man, they can really hit. He also had IG. So, I mean, you can never have a too bad of a list if you're running IG. Um, but anyway, things like that, that's what's happening at store champs and in these kit tournaments. And that's just a lot of fun. I encourage everybody to try out the things that you'd like to try, especially if you're a more experienced player. It's really awesome for, I think, new players to see more experienced players playing things that are a little off meta. But, you know, I'm no sense, no sense preaching you guys. You guys know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so encourage everyone to join us on the Slack channel. Support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Zion's Finest. Thank you so much, guys. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to episode 56 of Zion's Finest. This is Kenny Brown and I am joined by Ben. Hey there. Ben is back for a repeat. Amazing. Actually, it's not a repeat. This is what 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 episode <laughs> is, what episode is this for you, Ben? You're practically a co-host. Uh this is well, this is uh my third time on, I guess. I, oh, I did a man. world's rep and this is sort of coming at um a chess idea from earlier from a different direction. There we go. That is, it is going to be an awesome, awesome brain burning episode. So, I mean, Ben's, Ben's previous chess episode has been one of our most popular episodes. That's one that lots of people talk about. I think because it came out the same time as the, uh, the Twitch Troopers were talking about the queen piece. I, I hear everybody talk about queen pieces now and I, it always just warms the very depths of my heart to when, when I hear people say that. I attribute it to Ben. I mean, Twin <laughs> Troopers, I mean, Jake and Eric are great and everything, but Ben is Ben is the real fashion leader on this score. But this episode is going to be um, kind of a, well, it's going to be a similar approach in terms of breaking down the components of this particular idea that Ben's got. I'm not going to get too much into it because it's mostly going to be fleshed out as we talk about it, but I'll just let Ben kind of give the, the soft intro and then we're just going to get into it. Yeah, sure. Thanks. I, I think I can snag it there. Um, so in, in this chess episode, which I, I wrote it down, I think it's episode 32, Searching for Bobby Skywalker, because yep. Kenny's great with names. I am. Um, I will. I'm also, I'll include a link to it in the show notes, because you really, yeah. it's it's a great episode for beginners and experienced players alike. Yeah, and I think if you <laughs> if you skip like the first 30 minutes of me talking about my like early rambly approach to a couple tournaments, uh, it, it'll get you right to the chess stuff. Um, 
But yeah, so um, basically the idea of that episode was I, I, I like when I studied chess, there were books and, and some of them were really well organized. And so I, I was trying to use a book called My System uh, by a chess grandmaster named Nimzovich who, who had kind of written out his nine core principles of chess. Uh, so in that episode, we, we tried to like map a couple of the chess principles onto Imperial Assault just to see what would shake loose and uh, whether that helped like, you know, open up your mind to think about the game in a different way. Um, and kind of after recording that, it, it had felt rambly to me and it had felt like we'd been a little bit all over the map. And I thought maybe the thing to do is just build from the ground up and go ahead and say, what are the core principles of Imperial Assault? Uh, so I, I've started sketching there, and um, I think it'll take a while to kind of pin pin down what they all are. Um, and and I guess I'll, I'll just say front end, like I I don't think I'm necessarily the best person to talk about even the ones that I feel pretty confident on. I mean, there there are other players who who have a better handle on these things than I do. Um, but I've had a little time to think about it and start getting mentally organized. Um, and I think uh, so. The couple that we flagged for today that I think go on the list. Um, one is activation economy and the end of round, start of round swing. Huge. Um, one is how threat affects pace. And I think, you know, we have to figure out what those terms actually mean. Uh, and one is sort of how to assess when a deployment or a figure has earned its value back. Um, and I think what those three things have in common is they are all about risk, um, like each of those is about when and how you risk uh, or put things at risk or deal with risk in the game. Um, and uh, I, I think what, what um, I guess the idea of, of kind of coming up with this list of things is there, it feels to me like as, as someone who's studied the game in the last six months to learn it, uh, there's a lot of information about how to build a deck. Uh, there's a lot of information about individual cards, strengths and weaknesses, but uh, I feel like if you listen to all that stuff and, like, build your list and, and sort of know what the big strategy is and then sit down to play the game, there are still some principles that you really need to understand to play at a high level. So, uh, this you know, this is an early swing at getting to some of them. Not a complete list, but uh, hopefully a helpful one uh, for new players and, yeah, old alike. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So, let's start off with our activation economy, end of round, start of round. Yeah, sure. So, um, basically, I, I think there, there's the, the principle here for me is um, I think you need to so, something I didn't know when I first started playing is you really need to be thinking about the next round's initiative through your whole round. Absolutely. So um, the the term that that. The, the way I've wound up thinking about that is what, what is going to happen in the end of round, start of round swing. Um, yep. So, you know, you play through your activations, um, mission effects happen, maybe there's some end of round effects, Han or Vader or somebody gets a shot, uh, and then there, maybe there's a start of round effect where someone plays Call the Vanguard or something. But basically, your, your placement through a whole round is going to set up what happens at the start of the next round. Um, and so there's, I mean, just as you're playing, you need to be tracking a couple of things. Um, so one of them is initiative, right? Like uh, the, the game is sort of uh, balanced in, in some ways well and in some ways poorly around initiative. Um, and I think you basically need to have a couple things um, in your mind the whole way through. So uh, step one is who will get initiative naturally, right? So who, who's got the token now? It's going to pass at the end of the next round. Um, you know, that, that's sort of the automatic thing that'll happen. So if, if nothing, all, all other things are equal, you know, if your opponent has it, you're going to get to act first. If you've got it, they're going to get to act first. Uh, the second is, what is the status of critical cards? So take initiative is the biggest one. Um, you know, I mean, a card that is much talked about came out in the original core set. Um, and then w what about negation, which is, you know, the one point, card from the Hoth expansion. <laughs> the reason that many competitive players buy the Hoth expansion. Unfortunately. Yeah. Well, because not everybody runs MHD. That's true. But they'll learn after, after the world's showing, maybe. Yeah, indeed. Um, but yeah, so sort of track... I mean, so, you know, counting cards is a fundamental Imperial Assault principle, too. Um, Absolutely. So being able to count, like, you know, if I'm going to get an initiative naturally, have they played take initiative yet? Um, you know, how many cards are in their hand? Uh, you know, there are complicated layers to counting cards. Like, did they have an opportunity to, 
you know, use on the lamb if they'd had it, didn't use it, so maybe they don't have that. I mean, you know, yes, high-level players point. start tracking that stuff. Um, but basically, you know, you, if you have a rough idea of what's probably in their build and, and whether they've got take initiative in their hand or not, um, you can kind of guess, you know, what their odds are of maybe having that card and then adjust your play to, to match uh, how much risk you want to have. Um, And again, so negation is a card that that factors into that. If you're holding negation, you can be confident of being able to stop, take initiative, uh, really unless they've got spies and might have comm disruption, which is, you know, a two-point spy card that lets you uh, cancel a card of command point value up to the number of spy groups that you have on the map. A common mistake with that card is people think it it reads spy figures, so they'll think ESABs or something can stop two or, you know, cross-trained riot troopers. I uh, can oh, stop man. a two-point card, but Calm Disruption, um, you know, only stops one, one per group, so. Yes. Uh, but one group of spies is enough to stop negation and, you know, maybe guarantee your take initiative. And my understanding well, is that spies were popular a couple of years ago, and there was a ton of, you know, take initiative, negation, Calm Disruption going back and forth. Sometimes with, yeah. a, with a third, you know, Calm Disruption over the top yeah, of that. Yeah, Calm Disrupt the Calm Disrupt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but mostly what you need to be thinking about is whether they might take initiative. Um, and, and usually all the more you need to think into that question is, uh, can I negate it or can I survive it if they, if they do? Yes. Um, and if, if you're not sure if you can survive it, you know, you can kind of say, well, odds are maybe they don't, maybe they do. They've seen, you know, two, three, four cards into their deck at this point and, you know, kind of roll the dice, so to speak. Um, but yeah, so that, that's kind of thought you, you probably want to have. Um, it's probably a good point to mention, like this is, as people know, this is the power of devious scheme as a card. Um, yeah, so ordinarily in the base game and, you know, so take initiative and devious scheme are two cards from, from the beginning of the game that have stayed relevant, um, because of the way things are balanced around initiative. Yep. Um, so devious, uh, as people know, um, basically gives you both advantages for one deployment point. So you, you both get to choose your starting deployment zone, and ordinarily the penalty for that is you start with initiative. Um, we'll, we'll talk in a minute about why that is problematic. Um, but then you, uh, with, with devious, you, you both choose your deployment and hand your opponent the initiative token, which means you're you know, in the natural course of things, going to get it at the start of round two. Yes. Um, yeah. So why does that matter? Well, um, let's talk a little bit about activation economy. So if you have even numbers of deployments, so if you both have lists with, say, six deployments, whoever acts first doesn't get to act last. Um, so uh, that matters because when you know when, when you act in the course of a round before you get to the end of round start of round swing, um, whatever you do in the round, your figure usually is stuck there. Yep. A uh, couple of cards that can disrupt that uh, change of plans will let you reactivate a group by exhausting a different group. Um, New orders is a leader card for three points that uses both of that leader's activations to reactivate a, a group who has at least one adjacent figure. Um, so you're, you're starting to see new orders with uh, Palpatine, you know, who can who can do a lot in activation without using either action. Which is crazy, uh, but yeah, that's a great example. Yeah, I think Royal Rich um, had some great videos up a couple months ago of a, a regionals in the UK where he um, just kept kept Palp with a ATDP, and you know, DP between Palp's Emperor shot and its own assault could you know, pretty pretty conceivably get five shots off and around. So. Which is insane. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the value is is kind of crazy. And that also illustrates, like, a similar... Uh, well, actually, maybe we'll, we'll talk about this later, but, like, in terms of things like that, knowing or not knowing whether or not your opponent is able to play things like that. Now, most people playing, yeah, like, yeah. a health ATDP list are not going to be aware of are not going to be aware of, like, a card like New Orders. So not only does the, the card help you with this activation economy, but it also helps you take advantage of your opponent's miscalculations of risk, right? Right, right. Yeah, and New Orders, I mean, it, the other place where it, I think could probably find a niche home is in a Han Rangers Rebel list. Um, or Because a lot Rangers. of times Hera is not going to do a lot until later in the game. Absolutely. Um, you know, hands out a passive ability, but she's got the leader trait. Um, yep. You know, Gideon has a leader trait. Yep. And with three rangers, you can kind of hang one back, um, you know, a lot of the time. And, uh, 
Yeah, and, and then, you know, reactivate the whole group of three. Absolutely. Um, Rez, um, Brandon, Brandon Kiyosho, he made top Fort Worlds. He was running a double Rangers list, and he had yeah. new orders in there, you know, because he's got Rangers all over the place, right? And if he's got one of them next to Hera end of a round i mean it's it's a great combo yeah great yeah card. i'm not sold on that list and i and i want to be quick to mention that that was not the list that got top four at worlds but that's true um, that's a very good point <laughs> but yeah i do think um you know the, the other thing rebel rangers have going for them is uh balance of the force can be in a in a hunter rebel deck um yep. which lets you be a little more flexible with those extra points that uh hunters just spend right away uh, in mercs absolutely great point um, and yeah, and, and the other thing to say about uh, about new orders, which uh, change of plans doesn't have for it, is new orders actually like adds an activation to your account for the round uh, because because your leader that uses it actually does activate. Yep. Um, so it, it passes. It's sort of like a possession arrow in basketball. It kind of ter- turns the momentum to where your opponent maybe now is not going to get the last activation. Maybe you are. Yep, um, and it, and it's with a unit maybe they weren't anticipating. So yep. it, it, it's a three point double action card, um, but I I think it's still got got some use that that hasn't been explored. Absolutely, um, that got a little bit into the weeds before we went through just some of the basic principles there. But um, yeah, so going back to why it's important to have more activations in your opponent, just generally, um, I mean, so the, the big advantage I really think is in round one. And, it, it, and the, the biggest advantage is that your opponent has to show you their strategy first, right? Um, or, or their strategy is always one step ahead of yours, which allows you to react, right? Like right. You, well, and, and not react so much as adapt, I think. Okay, um, that's a fair way to phrase it. Yeah, yeah which is I'm the semantics. But yeah, I think, um, cause every, every, I think every strategy in the game has strengths and weaknesses, um, you know, even if it's that the strategy is balanced, it's that it's not strong anywhere. But, um, but yeah, a lot of strategies, you know, once they show you what their strength is going to be, you can look and find what the weakness is. And, um, you, you know, there's a fair number of places where you can play into that. Um, just, just played a No-16 uh, Vassal game on Al Huda where, you know, my opponent was going to swarm a, a lot of big hitters straight up the middle aisle. And, that made it really clear that I was going to be able to sort of drag net around the, the side and kind of, you know, turn it into a running fight. Um, and I had a, at least, I think I had two more activations than he did. And so I, I was able to sort of uh, play some, some very cautious things at first and, you know, watched his guys come up. And so I got a few shots in and was able to start moving people away, um, you know, which is a way to adapt to what you're seeing happen on the board. Absolutely. Um, and I remember Daniel Taylor in one of his episodes talking about how um, a, a pretty frequent uh, misplay of um, newer players is sometimes they'll just activate and move a piece without thinking about what to do with it. Um, yes. And I watched him a fair amount. I've watched some other players. Um, and once or twice myself even, I, I've recognized the opportunity to just activate a piece and not move it, Right. Uh, so, so I and a lot of times for you know I play rebels and a lot of times for me it's Hera I will just you know move her a square or two and not have her do anything else in her activation just to sort of hand hand the opportunity to overextend or to misplay or to show me a um, you know sort of a, a, a hand or a position that my opponent's going to claim uh, back to them right. Um, so, you know, a Rebel 9 activation list versus an 8-act uh, IG hunter list can, can maybe do this to a point where you're, you're seeing where they're going to develop to and um, can start, you know, making your own choices. Um, so in round one, that's great. Um, it, it's especially great in round one if you know you're going to get initiative at the start of round two. Um, again, that's part of the power of devious scheme, and um, mercs, hunters can can usually get a pretty high activation count too. I mean, eight acts is not uncommon there. Um, no. Some people can play it up to nine. I think eight activation with IG is where things will stabilize, and I think IG is yeah. in a lot of ways kind of like not maybe he is kind of the peak level of efficiency there. Not to say like you can't be you can't tech against it, but like the eight act. The eight act IG activate or uh, IG list, I think, has got an advantage over like a nine act um, scum hunter list that instead of running IG is running like Vinto Onar, you know, right. something like right. that. And so, 
yeah. Well, and the other thing to say about it is it's it with, with IG's command card. It's not yep. an eight act list. It's an yep. you know eight point three act list or an eight point two five act list. Um, yep. Because one of those rounds, you're you're probably going to activate IG twice uh, and Absolutely. and maybe do it at you know sort of unexpectedly at the end of the round. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Son of Skywalker, you know Luke's command card um, works basically the same way. So. Yep. Great point. Yeah. Um, so right. So so that's the strength of having more activations, right? You're you're going to be able to watch the the field develop, and hopefully that means you're going to have you're, you're going to at least be able to play positionally more efficiently than your opponent will. Um, you, you'll recognize you know this objective's lost, and be able to handle every other objective, or you'll be able to take shots at a weak target or something. Um, you know, and and sometimes it's just harder to. Um, I, I think it, it, it's more likely to misplay when the field isn't established, um, by which I mean, like, if the figures aren't forward, if they're not engaged with each other, um, it, it, it's harder to, to sit there in your head and figure out, like, here's all those lines of sight that someone could get to that are going to have a target on me um, when, when the pieces are kind of all back and haven't used their opportunity to move and act yet. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah, so that, that's kind of the usual round one strength. So what about the, you know, again, strategies have strengths, they have weaknesses. Uh, so the weakness, I think, to having a high activation count um, is it takes a long time to retreat your force, right? Yep. Um, so again, like, the, it, it's a question of risk, right? If you play nine activations and, you know, you just send one guy forward to a, a, a position that maybe it can get threatened, uh, it's pretty clear, like, that's your first activation of the next round, Um but you also haven't put much pressure on your opponent, right? Like, you, your, your retreat's going to be easy, but um, you, you haven't actually established much of a threat. Yep. Uh, you haven't developed much. You haven't, you know, created, created conditions that your opponent has to worry about. This, this is one of the big complaints about um, Uskru Mission A priority message that's kind of rotated in, uh, is that there, there's no reason to get drawn out and threaten anything. I mean, you just nope. sit back and, and, you know, focus up and, and power up and wait for somebody to make a mistake. Um, you know, as the droids kind of trundle along and get shot by everyone else's back line. Um, yeah, the 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 um, the other side of this coin, and maybe we can talk about this a little bit later, is that is that when when you're retreating, like when you're retreating units, and one reason you should think about like the position, and you're talking about this like in terms of like the establishing the board state. Yeah, and I and I think this actually still applies with Uskri, even though we all complain about how slow it is is that the is is what you're giving up even if you're not giving up objective points or you're not giving up um maybe like strictly speaking threats on like particular units giving up pressure on the board is kind of a big deal in terms of and that's one of the nice things about like high activation lists is that you can simultaneously threaten like you can as depending on obviously yeah. what your build is like you right, can right. threaten pressure all across the board right as opposed to if you've got six um, six deployments because you're running, you know, Vader, Vader and the Jets. Mm-hmm. You will put a lot of pressure in a particular, you know, particular places on the board, but it is kind of hard to like spread out your pressure. And so, even though like a nine activation, a nine activation rebel list against a six activation Vader list might have struggles to retreat, it might be the case that like they're not looking. You shouldn't be thinking about retreating, right? Like you might be exactly. thinking about, like shifting board place. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, but but yeah. So so I think what happens uh, in a in a high activation list a lot of times is round two um, is maybe one of your more, most challenging rounds to play. So yes, sometimes it comes out super super uh, just straightforward, right? You draw hundred cards, you've got rangers. They go first and kill some stuff. Draw back. Your opponent sits there thinking about their life and you know slowly goes back to lick wounds or something. That that's an easy round. Um, but a lot of times, uh, there, there's more of a sense of a lot of things can get shot, a lot of things can take shots, and you have to figure out who does what in what order. Um, and, and that's a place where um, a lot of times activating your bigger hitters, uh, you know, the, the problem with activating a big hitter early in a second or third round is your opponent knows that it's done. Yes. Um, right, unless it's IG or, or Jedi Knight Luke. Um, or unless you're running new orders or change of plans, uh, m- mostly your big hitters are, are going to be, you know, once they've used their shot, they, it's gone until the next end of round start of round swing. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, so, so that's sort of the attendant strength weakness stuff there. Uh, and I think um, a lot of people play their, their big hits early. Um, and I think this, I feel like I've seen 
newer Vader players do this. And I'm, I'm not an Imperial player, so others might disagree with me on the strategy. But I think, you know, the longer you can wait to move Vader, I mean, number Absolutely. one, he's rolling two black dice plus Zillow, so he, he can take a couple hits. Um, but the longer you wait to, to use him, the more your opponent has to think about what he, what is he going to do this round. Um, you know, flip side of that coin uh, again is that they, they might be able to start retreating units out of his range. And you know, if you if you let two or three units slip away, um, or, or if Gideon's able to focus somebody and like pull somebody back out of Vader's range with um, tactical maneuver, yep, it, you might miss that opportunity. This so. is always my strategy with Jakarta. I'm when because I was at when I was running my Han Jakarta list at Worlds, I ran into I think four Vaders. And every time I was running against <laughs> Vader, like, Dracotta's job was to get off the hit against Vader. And then because I had nine activations, right? And I'm, I'm actually okay if he wants to commit Dr- Vader at the start of round two to go try and kill Dracotta. Because I might have Miracle Worker, right? I might have, like, the cards yeah. I need in order to save him. If once Vader is committed at the start of round... If he's committed at the start of round two, that gives me, as the opponent so much flexibility in terms of like now what right. i can do right yeah, like you, you have nine activations to either kill vader or kill kill other stuff without worrying about vader punishing you exactly yeah. I, all i need to do is get three spaces away from him right so that he can't end up around slap me and i have got the ability to <laughs> I, it just it's it's way too much control to see it and you're, you're absolutely right to, to call that out yeah point yeah. that out so i you know i uh, we, we can kind of get to the other topics but i think um Cards to mention around that. Um, Call the Vanguard uh, is, is a, you know, let, lets you move a trooper. So Call the Vanguard's a free shot, which is always nice. Yep. Uh, but more and more, I think the advantage of it is it is it redeploys a figure, well, repositions a figure at the beginning of the round uh, before your opponent has a chance to act against it, right? Absolutely. Um, so Moss Eisley mission A, the stand on stash is one. I, I had a ranger that just ran out a couple times at Worlds to sit on a crate and then um, call the vanguard and move them back out of the line of fire before the opponent could, you know, fire. Absolutely. Um, and, and call the vanguard's particularly nice because even if take initiative takes off, um, you, you're still going to play that card before your opponent gets an activation against you. Absolutely. You can pull away. Yeah, that's a great, great point. Yeah, um, I'll just rattle off car- other cards that um, affect it. Uh, strength in numbers lets you activate multiple groups up to cost 12. Um, Squad Swarm, two groups of the same name, up to cost 16. Uh, Maul has a little bit of feel here, right? He, he gets he gets a turn even if he's <laughs> had had a bunch of damage poured into him. Yes, um, indeed. And there, pe- people have kind of lined out the shenanigans with, you know, if you tap Maul for sh- for take initiative or for change of plans, he hasn't actually activated and he, he stays alive and, you know, he's, he's both a point bank and a free activation uh, that, that endures through the whole round. So Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, you know, I think there's there's some fun, like, you know, sit Maul on a stash and make your opponent kill him and then give them nothing for it for a couple of rounds. Yeah. Things you can do. <laughs> yes, indeed. And, I mean, you know, if you can pull off the shenanigans, also, again, he puts a threat down on the board, right, in terms of, like, yeah, where you right. can get to. So, yeah, and yeah. He'll, he'll hit one or two things decently hard. Yes, indeed. So. Um, Davith's personal command card. I mean, you know, who uses Davith, but we're, we're maybe <sighs> getting magic new force user cards with uh, Tyrants, so... We hope so. Yeah, and, and Vanish is... Man, I mean, Vanish is an amazing card if Davith were just a slightly better figure. I mean, give him oh, yes. one in eight damage, and he's almost playable, right? But, oh, yes. That's... Yes, indeed. It, it is a great... I mean, it, taking an action... The reason why... So I've talked... I think Scott actually has talked huh. about this. The problem with uh, Davith's Vanish is that it takes an action for a figure that... Like you need to get value out of it, out of it immediately, and we're going to talk about this like later in, in like later in the episode yeah. in terms of like extracting value. But Davith having to spend an action to vanish when his value is already like you have to like use his actions so efficiently in order to get his value out anyway. That's its that's yeah. its problem. But I don't. I mean, he he's a five speed figure who can get you know up to three more speed points out of usual rebel you know Hera and Gideon stuff um yeah. I love it, it but yeah it doesn't really a... use the action so much as it banks it so vanish if people don't know the card is a two-point card it costs too much too but yeah um so two points takes an action and then he cannot suffer conditions or damage not only until the end of the round but until his next activation yes um so he he stays super tanky and um you know speaking of risk he he takes none yep um and a lot of cards that that kind of remove risk only endure till the end of the round, which in a 
meta with a lot of Han Solo and Darth Vader and around attacks um, isn't worth as much. Yes, indeed. Um, so Hide in Plain Sight is a three-point spy card that does the same thing. Um, it stop, stops you from being attacked, but only until the end of round. It costs three and takes an action. And you know who, Who's got the points for that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it does, and it also it doesn't last through Han and, Han and Vader can still attack right, you. Right, yeah, that one is until end of round, not uh, during this during round. During the round, yep. Um, and there's a handful of others, but uh, good good place to mention Death Troopers, right? Yes, so indeed. Death Troopers, um, <laughs> we, we, you know, some people are excited about them. Some people think they're not going to have much of an impact. But if they do, it will be because uh, they they sort of have a built-in strength in numbers squad swarm mechanic where uh, they can activate another. Gosh, is it Death Trooper or Leader Group under cost I, six? I think it's that, Leader. That's the campaign I think it's, version. I think it's tr- Trooper Leader, I think is what it is. I'll look it up while we're yeah. talking about it. But anyway, I mean, like, what the, you know, what the ability does is it lets you spread your activations out in round one where you want to anticipate what people are doing or maybe in a later round where you're, you're kind of waiting to see how things redevelop after, uh, you know, people are back licking their wounds and trying to figure out the next engagement. Um, but if you need heavy firepower to focus down a figure that's exposed, or if you need um, to get a couple people maneuvered back to safety, uh, it, Death Troopers allowing multiple people to activate in a row um, is pretty potent. So. Absolutely. It is, uh, it is Death Trooper. Death Trooper leader with a cost of six or less. Nice. Yep. Yeah, the, the other way you can address it, so if you're building into a lower activation count list, um, you know, the, the easy thing to do is to build into units that can take a hit. Um, and th- this is sort of like what, what the Empire units and deployments does naturally, right? So, yep. Uh, re- regular riots or e-riots are great examples of tanky point-denying units. Uh, even jets with Agile and Zillow, right, because Zillow adds a, either a block or an evade to an, to an e-jet that can Agile it around. Um, and then, you know, Vader, again, like, if you have to leave somebody out there, why not Vader, who's got two black dice and um, can re-roll one of them when he rolls a surge block? Um, oh, man. Oh, Vader. Yeah. Um, there's other things you can do. I mean, you can plan for the use of devious scheme. I'm, I'm sort of intrigued by the idea. So we're, we're playing this No 16 tournament, and uh, I kind of cheekily figured out pretty quickly that, you know, in a, in a world without devious scheme having a point bid is a free devious scheme for any faction. Um, and this, this rule is so unutilized that it, pe- people may need a reminder, but if you run 39 points to your opponent's 40, you get to choose who starts with initiative. Yes, so indeed. it's not as good as devious, um, you know, but uh, y- you're still going to have to, if you, if you pick your side, you still have to take the initiative token first. Um, but you can also hand the initiative token to your opponent if you're playing, say, Moss Eisley, where the sides are pretty even. Yep. Uh, and if Nal Hutta stays in the rotation for another eight months, uh, <laughs> thank you, Fantasy Flight, <laughs> um, right. then uh, then you can guarantee... Like, I, I kind of wonder that we haven't seen some hunters figure out a 39-point list with Devious, which would guarantee them, against another Devious list, the bottom side of Nal Hutta. Right? That's a great but, point. Um, but I don't think I've ever seen anyone do it. Anyway... Um, that's, that's one thing you can do to kind of walk into the game, controlling at least a little bit, um, your sense of where and when the initiative happens is to use a point bid. Um, Imperial players sometimes do this, uh, mostly against other Imperial players because they, they anticipate that. Um, and another thing to do is just sort of recognize play style, right? So, so hunters often, I think, will just hang back. They'll ignore objectives and let you cheerfully, like, walk forward saying, guys, I don't see any hunters. Like, let's come get all the crates or let's come stand on all these things. Uh, and then they start, you know, round two with initiative and five cards or, or six with R2, um, you know, and, and IG-88 or weekly pirates that are focused and hidden, and they come out and kill everything. Uh, they've got a target-rich environment because you... You know, you, you've kind of been lured into this empty center space that, they, that is exactly where they want you to be standing. Yeah, and then the other, the other way to play against uh, the end of round, start of round swing is to just understand that you're going to take losses or, or take hits and just be able to guarantee equivalent or greater punishment, right? Um, so people joke that Imperial builds, like, move forward and roll dice, but th- this is why they do that. It's not that they're sort of, like, stupidly walking into fire. It's that they can take enough of the hit as they come forward that whatever's left after you've knocked out a unit or two is going to start 
exchanging. Um, and, and when Vader's a part of that force, their exchanges are going to be really potent. Absolutely. Um, and Vader is, to, to use a term Joey um, used in our, in our Vassal game, uh, in, the, in the No 16 format where he was running the Royal Guard champion, uh, Vader is a point bank, right? Yep, like, absolutely. Th- those are points that your opponent can't get uh, out of kills unless they really commit to taking down Vader. Um, yeah. Uh, and the last thing to say, uh, just in terms of counting activations, um, is uh, w- when you're picking your targets, if you can kill an unactivated unit, that sort of flips the possession arrow too, right? Yeah, absolutely. So... And uh, I would say, like, a good example in terms of, like, the practicality of this is JK would do this when he would, so at Worlds he was running a seven-act IG double pirates list, right? So he is uh-huh. going to struggle to have the last activation against most rebel and in, other scum uh, lists. On yeah. Other scum lists. So his first target always was to go kill either a smuggler, a regular smuggler, or uh-huh. both smugglers, or just take, take long shots on figures that he could remove. Just, he like, he is willing to expend more value in terms of an attack in order to give him back control of the, the, the tempo of the game or the pace of the game in terms of, okay, now I am the one who's going to have the last activation, which is a big deal when you've got IG on the board. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, the the Equay pirate shot on 3PO is a pretty, pretty common example of this, I think. Yes, great, um, great example. Yeah, e- pretty easy to take him down with just half your deployment. Uh, you, you can make him flip his die if he rolls the dodge. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I really like, I've said this in past podcasts, I really like burning focus shots on R2. Um, with, you know, the, the, the wisdom is don't shoot R2 because he's lucky and he's got a one-third chance of rolling a dodge instead of a one-sixth chance. But that, that still means there's a two-thirds chance that you'll hit him. And yep. I, I don't know. So every once in a while I'll, I'll burn element of surprise or something. And So for me, when I'm on Nalhuda and I was playing my Han Jakarta list, uh-huh. my Han was taking my last activation because I had the last activation and he's not going to send sure. IG out, right, in order, like, if Han can, like, yeah. respond. So I would send Han out to go take a shot, range 11 shot at R2. And, right. you know, yeah. he, he would dodge a lot, but it's like it's that same principle, right, where it's like at this point my my desire for risk is not enough to, like, crazily commit Han, but I can do this, like, small little thing that's just going to give me this uh, pace advantage, right? Yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about pace. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, so if if activation economy is one of the principles of Imperial Assault, um, understanding pace is another one, a second one, Uh, you know, if if we're building a little list here. Um, And I think, uh, so as I thought about this, you know, what is the actual practical definition of pace in an Imperial Assault game? Um, I think uh, the, the, the working definition I've got is pace is the need to complete one or more things in a specific order. Mm-hmm. So as we were talking about activations, right, like if you have, to, if, if you have three figures exposed at the start of the round and you, you need them all to survive through the round, you have a pace problem, right? Your, your yes. opponent's putting a lot of pressure on you. You need to do one of those three things. Um, I think Scott in the Swamp Jamboree Nalhutta map breakdown episode um, did a really good topology of the of the two Nalhutta missions. Where I, I think he said um, the thing to remember is that Raining Freight is a damage race and Shielded is an objectives point, point points race. Yes. Um, yeah, and I think that that is just dead on and so like well well put and succinct. Um, and, and I think it fits that definition of pace, right? The, the need to complete things in a specific order. So. Mm-hmm. On raining freight, you need to remove figures. That's the damage race, right? Because figures will pick up crates. Yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if, I, th- I think as Scott even said, you know, if, if you're getting points killing figures as your opponent's getting points picking up crates, like, eventually by attrition, you've got figures and, and they've got, you know, they're surrounded by crates that they had to put back down. And yes, you, you can just scoop up the last for the end, uh, for the yep. win. Absolutely. Uh, and then shielded, you know, it, it's it, like obviously figures still matter, but um, you can get a lot of points on the board. Um, yeah. So thinking about the maps in rotation, um, Uskru A is the l- slowest paced mission I, I think that we may have ever seen, right? Yes. Um, the, the the natural effect of the mission is the six point droid trundling along. It takes him three rounds to get to the other zone, and um, if nobody does anything. You're, like, any list can kill a droid in, in the course of one round. So if everyone yeah. just sits back and, and shoots droids, you know, I guess you, you roll the two blue dice on the tiebreaker, on the third or fourth tiebreaker down at the end of the match, right? Oh, gosh, the worst. 
Yeah. Which would be an interesting, like, I'd, I'd watch that world championship, and then I'd uh, complain about it for years. That's exactly right. We, we would watch it, and FFG would immediately, yeah, I, yeah exactly. <laughs> someone, someone at FFG would be getting fired. Right, right. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of Uscrew for other reasons, but, yeah. um, but that, that's a map where I think the, the positive, constructive way to say it is players build the pace on that mission. You know, the mission doesn't do it itself. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. The, the flip side, I think, uh, the, the fastest pace mission I, that I think is in rotation right now, I mean, Raining Freight's pretty fast, but um, uh, Mos Eisley Alleyway's mission B. Concealed Treasures. Um, there, there are 32 points on the board, right? Yes, it's huge. So if, if you do nothing and your opponent picks up four or five crates, they, they, they're holding 16, 20 points and just have to walk home. Uh, which is a great way to walk because people can't shoot at you when when they have to walk across the map first, right? Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah, so you know if you can pick up uh, three of the middle crates and and two of the flanking crates early in that game, you, you put some pretty significant pressure down. And, and you'll see people pick up a crate with Han or even Darth Vader just to you know take it off the map so that um, a figure that's hard to kill becomes more significant. Um, yeah, anyway, so again, like, the, if, if pace is the need to complete one or more things in a specific order, um, Moss Eisley B makes you think about which crates you're going to pick up or how you're going to kill stuff fast enough that it doesn't matter that your opponent's picked up a couple of crates. Can uh, I give one more example, Ben, to kind no, of please. To yeah. highlight this? So a good example of pace with Han Rangers, and this is something that good Han Ranger players think about, is who should you focus, right? Like, you've got two yeah, focus yeah. per round, and... Mm-hmm. All four of your damage dealers need it, so who should you focus? Now, in my opinion, I think the pace of the game, in terms of if it is a quick pace game, you should think about focusing your rangers. The reason why is because Han is Han is going to get one, maybe two attacks if your opponent is being a little more risky, right? And sure. but, but rarely is that going to be the case round one. Most of the time, if you've got a smart opponent, he's not going to give Han great shots to take yeah right and so the reason why i think it's a good idea to think about focusing your rangers round one as opposed to han and obviously there's a lot of things that kind of change this right Uh but what you need is your rangers need to you need to not like in terms of this pacing thing you need to not put yourself in a position where you've got a 12 point activation that can't do anything until at least your two-point activation, right, is able to focus one of them, right, right. so that you can mm-hmm. actually get meaningful attacks. And that's, like, a great way to kind of uh, drill down and think, like, if I've got a fast-paced game, I should probably think about focusing these rangers, even though, obviously, Han hits, like, a truck with that extra green right, die, right. Mm-hmm. because it's going to affect, affect pace not just now, but in the future, right? Yeah, I think I think that's uh, totally right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I think, again, like, yeah, and it's a question of what needs to happen in what order. Exactly. And um, Han, a lot of times, can wait to get a focus in round two. Um, Rangers may not have that option. Exactly. Right? They're, they're pretty, they're pretty glass cannon I mean, there's a lot of stuff that can one-shot a Ranger, especially with focus in the game. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And it's also that, like, if, if my opponent has only got one focus Ranger... I am not very worried about what I have got, like, in forward positions, right? So not only, like, not only do you need to take an action before I need to worry about something, like, it allows me to be a little bit more flexible in terms of, like, well, I don't need to worry about Jakarta, right? Because a single focus ranger and two rangers, I mean, it's possible if he wants to dump assassinate tools, everything into him, he can kill him, assuming he's got all of those cards, but then, like, he has dumped all of his cards, right, in order to do something. So, I mean, that it's just a good way to, like, think about, yeah, like, yeah. this specific, this threat and pace. Yeah, and I, um, I, I don't know if I've got a lot more to offer beyond the definition now. I, I do think, um, my, my sense is, and I, I guess other people are welcome to check this against their games and observations, but I think it is, um, I think it's a lot easier to misplay in a slow-paced game than in a fast-paced game. That's an interesting point. Uh, um, and, I, I, and I guess what I think there is, like, in a fast-paced game where there's a lot of threat in a lot of places, you know, maybe one option vanishes that, that might have been the best option, but you're usually going to have something else you can do. Yes. Um, in a slow-paced game, if you make... Maybe, maybe it's just that if you make a mistake in a slow-paced game, it's a lot more significant... Uh, because your opponent, you know, having capitalized on your mistake, whether it's leaving a figure exposed or uh, whatever, uh, it, 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 
there's no pressure to, to do anything different. Yes. Um, so I um, an example of when I screwed this up, uh, in, in my Worlds game against Daniel Taylor, I tried to swing Han and Rangers around to, to just have a huge force that could maybe take down IG. Um, it, you know, and my thought was at, at the time was he, he, he knows how to win the classic game here where the Rangers go down the, the long west channel, uh, but if I can bunch around his peekaboo pocket in the northeast... Uh, maybe I can get enough shots around that corner and kill him in a way that he's not expecting. But the problem was it, it um, left his the, – the rest of his forces were not at risk whatsoever. Yeah. So, see, he was able to resolve Greedo and IG's um, deployments up there in that corner and get plenty of value out of them, even if I had been able to kill them, which I was not. Um, and he, he didn't have to worry about anything else happening on the board. I mean, no other figures were at risk. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyway. Um, I think uh, this is probably a place to, to talk about the value of spy cards because um, I think they, they affect pace in a couple ways. Uh, one is they can foreclose options, right? You can, I mean, strat shift is a huge option forecloser, right? You, I love it. Start around two, you drop somebody from five or six cards because they played rule by fear um, down to two cards, and uh, you know, and, the, and, and, and they hate you, and they talk about it for years. That's exactly right. I, I have found that very much to be the case. Yeah, yeah. Um, Shadow Ops, Malak's uh, personal command card. Three-point mm. card, but again, Rebels have Balance of the Force, and I think sometimes it's worth it for you know, one other big idea. Um, if you use Shadow Ops with Malak, and you're also running Strategic Shift, I mean, if, if they can't play any cards in round two... Um, although Shadow, Shadow Ops endures till end of round, so conceivably they can play stuff with Vader at the end of the round or something. But um, but if they can't play anything and their hand's just building up and then you strat shift them, that's even worse, right? Yes, so. indeed. Absolutely. Um, although and, I would say, let me, let me offer a counterpoint using oh, sure. this pace example, threat and pace. The problem with, the, my problem with Shadow Ops has always been, because I have, I have ran spies, rebel spies for like a sure. year, you know, and so I have, I, have, I have tried Shadow Ops. The problem with it is that it affects right like i need to play mock mac at the start of at the start of the round right in order to Uh get the value and so i mean that affects other play now most of the time your opponent doesn't know that you've got that card in hand but that's just like a great example to think about like how if you can get that card off man how awesome is that card but it also affects your pace right so it's just an interesting way to think about it yeah, I've said this before too, but um, Han's personal card's the same way. Uh, I make my own luck. It, it lets him mm-hmm. get out of a tight spot. Lets him start the round. It, you know, it, it beats uh, negation in terms of taking the initiative token. But yep. Um, but you, then your opponent knows that Han Solo has activated and, and is done for the round. Um, you know, unless you're Brett Kelly running Jedi Knight Luke and change of plans, and you're going to untap Han by tapping Luke down the road. But. Great point. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's that's totally the trade-off. You're right in terms of what needs to happen in what order. If you have to use mock and shadow ops on your first or maybe second activation, your other figures aren't getting retreated, or they're not getting their you know early attacks off on exposed figures or whatever yes. else. Yeah, yeah. The the other thing about spike cards is um, intel leak. Uh, you know, uh, or or a card even like shoot the messenger from Mercs has been discussed on the podcast before, but. The more information you have about your opponent's capacities, the more you understand what the pace actually is. Yep. Um, because if you, you know, uh, Shadow Ops is great because you just know that whatever's on the board is what's happening this round. Yep. Um, Intel Leak is great because you know what's in their hands, so you know what could happen this round. Yep. Um, yeah, and, and sort of being, being able to be, to be the player who has all the information... Um, just gives you more options. And at really high-level play, maybe you can even bluff some um, by, by sort of pretending you have cards you don't or, or whatever. But I mean, I don't ever... I, I rarely bluff, but when, you know, people play Rule by Fear, I always... There's this part of me... Because, you know, I've got... I, if I'm running spies, I'm going to have something like strat shift or intelligence yeah. like, or comms disrupt, right? And you always, like, you kind of, like, grimace for them, right? And then, you know, all people who play me a lot know they're like, oh, great. You know, here, 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 yeah. comes, here comes the pain. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah, right. And, and I definitely think in Imperial Assault, the game is tight enough that, like, 
bluffing is not the strategy. Like, actually having the card in your hand is the strategy, right? Don't don't bluff that you have on the lamb and put Han out in the middle of the <laughs> yes, Because indeed. they're going to shoot him a couple times and be like, he's not sure, moving. I'm, I'm going to yeah. go ahead and finish him off. Right? Yeah, exactly. All right, I'll draw it on the lamb. Oh, he doesn't have it. Yep. Yeah, right. Speaking of on the lamb, uh, <laughs> when, when do you play something like that? When uh, So point three, just to keep us moving, um, that, that I think kind of belongs in this sort of risk and threat bundle is um, how do you know when a deployment's earned its value back, right? So, yes. Um, like, is it worth it to run a smuggler out and grab a crate on reigning freight if that means the smuggler dies for two points for your opponent? Um, and, you know, I think in that particular case, the answer, you know, in the abstract without other information about the game is probably no. Um, you know, for the reason Scott outlined in the other podcast that, uh, you know, that, that smuggler might have got two points for you, but he's not getting anything else happening in, in any later round, and you're, you're now playing a 38-point list against presumably a 40-point list. And, um, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, there, there are other examples, too. Um, my world's game against Jake that I reported on, um, he, he was able to run up and kill a smuggler, but then I knew where one of his figures was, which was more valuable than, you know, my two-point two figure being dead. And, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I remember, I think a great example from Worlds also, uh, Daniel Taylor made a comment about using On the Lamb on Greedo. Yes, um, yes indeed. And, and his question, his reference point that he, he made in that um, discussion was that he, he says, you know, does this figure need to do something later? Um, and I think that's, that's a great way to think about whether your deployment has earned its value or not. Um, you know, if, if you've got Greedo and he's killed four points of figures, but you need him to kill 3PO later in the round to make sure that you're threatening 40 or something, um, you know, Greedo needs to stay alive, right, yes. in the On the Lamb example or whatever else you have. Um, you know, we, there are all sorts of theories on trades. Um, Brett Kelly's talked a lot about, you know, part of the problem with Jabba is if you trade off the rest of the lists, you know, Six points of Jabba versus, you know, Hera and 3PO is, is a lost cause, right? Or, or yes. whatever else uh, you do. So, um, yeah, and I, I think, uh, yeah, just, just that question of, of what really is the value you need out of a figure, right? It, if IG kills 12 points of things but only 12 points of things and is taken down for 12 himself... It, it might not be worth it. Um, on the flip side, against, say, your Han Drakata box list, if IG takes out Drakata for nine, you know, one of your two big shots is gone, and even yes. though the, the points don't match up, um, you know, risking IG to make that trade is totally worth it against, great, against that list. So. Great comparison. That's an awesome comparison. Yeah. So I think, you know, on a kill mission, Ustru A, Raining Freight, um, this probably boils down to just kill exchanges, right? Who, who's going to have... And I think, you know, the, the two concepts I would say belong in your thinking. One is, you know, what is the actual math on points, right? Am I, am I killing equivalent points or close to equivalent points? Uh, but then the second one, I think, in terms of just is an exchange worth it, is um, who's going to be left with what firepower afterwards? Yes. Right? Um, and you can think about that in terms of firepower for the round, like who will have shots in this round, especially in a tournament of time has been called. Um, you know, what, what remaining shots are coming in at me? Where are they hitting? Can I survive it as a way to sort of do the math? Um, or, you know, next round, how many shots do I want to have on the board as a way to think about it? Yeah. Um, um, the, and uh, Lucas Davidson, he talked about this, and it's the same thing as you're saying, but a great way to think about it is how many meaningful attacks you know, are we are we talking about in terms of exchanges? That's his his big thing with material. Right. Yeah. Material. He, he had a great analysis of, of how do you choose a target to shoot. Yeah. I love I I loved that, and I think that it, it repays listening because to think about mm -hmm. that in terms of like meaningful attacks. Ig is a great example. Like, and your example of Ig and Dracotta is a great example, right? How many yeah. meaningful attacks does a nine activation Han Dracotta list have? Realistically, two and a half, three three and a half. If we're counting, if Han's going to get a double tap and Right, so, you right. know that's not always possible. Whereas IG, a set, an eight act IG list, has got realistically five and kind of five and a half meaningful attacks. Right, so think about like that in terms of trades. If IG can kill Jakarta, that's two of his meaningful attacks for one of mine. And now that doesn't sound like a great trade, but it's like, well, how many now do I have left? Right. Yeah. And at that point, I've only got you know two and a half. Realistically, just a little over two, and he's still got three and a half ish. Right. Like that's a great way to think about that in terms of exchange. Yeah. And, yeah. 
No, that, I, I think that's all exactly right. Yeah, and I, I think like a, a flip side is um, you can think about your own figure's meaningful attacks. So, you know, like if Han's gotten three or four attacks off for you in a given game and, and you can get one more by risking him somewhere, maybe, maybe it's worth it. Great point. You know, and, and, and it might be worth saying, like, you know, he's he still got the dodge. He might not die or whatever. Or maybe they'll think I've got on the lamp. I mean, maybe that's the moment when you bluff. But um, I remember and, playing a Vazzle game where I had uh, I had drawn Wild Fury in my opening hand, um, which is a, a two-point Wookiee card. Well, Wookiee or Creature card lets you um, become focused and make multiple attacks in an activation. Yes. Um, and I think I had negation or calm disruption or something. So I was confident of the end of round, start of round swing. So on, um, Moss Isley, I ran Drakata out to, to a very exposed position, um, got an end of round shot off. I must, I must have had a movement card or something too, but I got a shot basically into their terminal hallway where things were bunched up. Um, you know, round swung around, Drakata activated twice and just blew apart that hallway, right, with two more blast demolish shots. Well, so there were two demolishes, one, one off each activation plus three shots with blast. Yeah. And at that point, like, Drakata dies. I don't think I'd killed nine points of figures, but there was damage everywhere. Yes. Uh, and I want to say I was playing, like, either Rangers or Rangers Cotoon or, or even just Han. But, there, like, it, nothing's coming out of the hallway to pick up objectives at that point, because anything that comes out is going to die. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah. E- even though my nine-point figure died for, like, I don't know, a, a kill on an e- a weak way or something, um, it-, it was clearly worth the math. Yeah, Absolutely. Great point. Awesome example. Yeah. So I think that's kind of what I got, at least as a, as a starting point. Um, you know, this is, again, like, Nimzovich had nine chess principles, and I don't, I don't pretend that nine's a magic number, but... Um, these are things I think you, you need to start, you know, like for, for the new player who's listened to all the podcasts out there about which deployment cards are great, uh, here at least, hopefully, is a, a beginning to think about what you actually do with them when you sit down and look at a list across the table and start thinking about who's going to have initiative and what will be at risk at the end of the round. And, um, yeah. Absolutely. I also, and in terms of, you know, we, we've gone over this before, but it is important to work risk back into this in kind of a strong and almost kind of a player dependent way. Like some players have got a much higher preference for risk than others. And so I'm going to, I'll, I'll uh, use as a good example is JK in our local play group. He has been on many, many episodes. He has mm-hmm. got, I would actually say a fairly high tolerance for risk, which kind of surprises me in terms of, he might not say it like that, but his play style is he, you know, he was running IG double pirates. He was, he would make choices based almost strictly on probability, right? He's like, well, I've got a two-thirds chance, you know, yeah, in order right. to do this, and so I'm going to make the, this the, choice, The right? money ball approach, right? Yes, so, yes, exactly. Yeah. The money ball approach, that's a great way, great way to, to, to phrase it. And, you know, yeah. sometimes it, he went four and three at Worlds, which is not bad, but, like, obviously, yeah. you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, whereas I would say someone like Matt, Matthew uh, Matthew Scott, who played Han Rangers, he's also in our local playgroup, has got a much lower preference for risk, right? Even though he's playing this very um high risk high reward or yeah high risk high reward list with han rangers in terms of like he he doesn't just base based on probabilities and if it's like 50 plus one he's like okay i'm gonna make the decision but it's much more of like he he tries as much as possible to like you know create a constellation of like probabilities i'm not saying jk doesn't do this but like jk is much more willing to like tolerate something closer to the you know i've got a 50 plus one percent chance whereas matt doesn't and i feel like that is completely fine for a lot of players and you'll find that like certain lists will reward um, a higher preference for risk, even if it doesn't always pay out, pay off. And certain other lists will punish you for a high, high preference for risk. And I would say Han is a figure who punishes high preference for risk, right? Whereas Vader yeah. is a figure that doesn't punish, you know, a high preference for risk. You can afford to be a little bit risky with Vader. And you, maybe even you should be in terms of like thinking about this along the, the things that we've talked about in terms of like activation economy, like, you might need to like risk that a little bit in order to, you know, make the killing strike in terms of his threat affecting pace. And in terms of like him getting his value back, you might need to take a few more risks and that's, he, he might give that to you. Right. So that's just yeah. something to think uh-huh. about. Well, and I, and I think with, um, yeah, I think all that's worth thinking about And with, with Rangers, just a, a note, especially, and really with hunters in general, 
it, it's a matter of choosing when to take your risk, right? Yes. Like, and and the, the usual like complaint about hunters is they just you know they just quote unquote wait till they have all their cards and then come in and, and, and kill you with three ranger shots, right? With with multiple cards coming in on each shot. And, and on the one hand, like yeah, like that that's a that's a pretty um, cookie cutter strategy. On the other hand, like that takes some real board discipline not to you know take pot shots and not to expose Absolutely. your your troops that are pretty vulnerable early on and to to preserve that three to three figure deployment until you're you're able to get the ri- you know the reward for the risk. Um, yeah, and I I think um, and the point about empire too. I I think. Uh, when I when I, when I teach the game to a friend, I usually give them a Vader list. Yes, um, and I don't mean to sound like uh, you know you, you, it's sort of meat-headed to play Vader or no, anything like that. Not I mean, at all. it takes a lot of finesse to play Vader really well. Absolutely. Um, but I think a, a list with Vader and riots or Vader and jets um, will um, it, it'll rec- it has more resilience naturally in it than than other faction lists, right? Like yes, it, it, absolutely. You you can take a mistake or two. Uh, and still win a competitive game uh, with a Vader list in a way that um, I, I frustratingly find to be lacking in um, in other other factions. Yes, indeed. Although if you if you listen to Daniel Taylor's World's Report, I think one of, one of the most amazing th- both Daniel and Brett uh, in their in their reporting, uh, one of the most amazing things about their their skill as players, I think, uh, and, and they don't really brag on it; it's just there. Is they talk constantly about things that went bad, right? Like th- things mm-hmm. that went wrong for them in the game. Uh, and how it sort of drove them back or to make more cautious uh, plays or, or how they had to wait longer for what they wanted to do. Yes. Um, and they're still winning games, right? They're, they're winning, like, 20 out of 21 games or whatever the, the math <laughs> yeah. is on World. So. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, that, that, that is a great point. And again, it's not, it's like you're saying. I, I would say, like, what's interesting about it is I feel like, you know, DT is a, is a master of this. IG is not a like low risk figure, but if you play him cautious, like DT is very cautious with with IG, right? And he waits right. until he he can do the the swing with blaze negation, like all of those things. And then that way he kind of is a low risk figure, right? Unless you're running against spies, which like forms its own particular beast. Um, but otherwise, it is fairly yeah. low risk, right? You don't need to commit IG until you need to, and so yeah, that's that's an interesting way to think about it. I like I like that. And, and even against spies, you don't need to convince them, come in until you need to, and you know you can wait till take initiative gets played and uh, or, or negations in your hand or whatever you need to. Yeah, and, and you're still going to get you know three or four shots off, and um, yeah, yeah, great point. Good. Well, I think that's what I've got, Kenny. I appreciate the uh, chance to <laughs> kick ideas around with you again. Hey, well, we we love having you on, Ben. I I am I'm what we're actually going to do with these episodes is we're going to create kind of a a, a get started here for new players because I've gotten I've gotten a fair sure, amount of feedback yeah. and we've gotten new players on the Slack channel. I feel like this is one of those episodes that's not quite this is not quite the first thing you should listen to, but this is one of those episodes that I think is really really helpful. And it's not just for new players, even people who've been playing for a little little while. Like I think what's interesting in terms of like when I think about this is as we have had this conversation, it forces me or forces, it encourages me to think about my preference for risk how I think about these like specific things. Like, cause I build nine activation rebel lists and I will always do that until they figure out something <laughs> about like devious scheme, yeah. because I think about this, but like when we have this conversation, it's like, okay, well maybe there's another way to approach the problem. Right. So it's just, it's, it's very helpful. It's very helpful for you to come on. And obviously you bring your own incisive wit and knowledge to it. So it's awesome. I mean, I love, yeah, I love well, thank you. It's fun to do. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, I, I wish you all the best luck building a nine activation rebel list with 12 points sunk in a Jedi Knight Luke and eight points <sighs> sunk into Kanan. Oh, whatever his man. name is. But. Well, right now, I mean, I have been running. Uh, we will not go into this side note for too long, but I have been working for about <laughs> a month and a half on this. Um, Jedi Knight Luke, Ahsoka, Jared, Mac. Uh, so it's Jedi, Luke, Jedi Knight Luke and Spies. It's nine activations. Yeah, I've yeah. got three spies. And so, like, it is all about controlling, you know, threat and pace, right? And so that I – because I have got – like such a razor thin margin for like the amount of value that I need to get out of like Jedi Knight Luke, especially because what's interesting yeah. is when you, when, when you play like a figure like MHD and like online kind of functions in the same way, it really changes the math in terms of like what you need to do in order to get value out of figures, right? Which affects everything in your play. But if without MHD and without on the lamb, which I, neither of which I have, you have right. to be like, if Jedi Knight Luke does not kill 
like this, this, and this, or like IG or Vader, like I'm going to lose the game. There's no way I can win this game. Right. And so it's really interesting to like force yourself. Like I have been playing MHD for so long. It's so interesting to force yourself out of like that standard paradigm and, you know, come back to, well, what for me is very bizarre, but for other people is very normal in terms of like standard damage trade calculations. Right. So it's, it's yeah, really helpful no, to kind of sure. break yourself out. <laughs> well, welcome back. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Well, no, I'm yeah. going right back to MHD. This is this is uh, okay, only, yeah. this is only for experimentation. Just, awesome. Well, Ben, do you have do you have anything else for us? No, I don't think so. I'm uh, I'm just a plug for people who are listening in real time to these episodes. But the the No 16 Vassal tournament is uh, I I'm finding it to be a breath of fresh air. I think it's yeah. it's super fun to see non-meta stuff. Uh, that is, that, that's a tournament with no cards from cards or deployments uh, from top 16 lists at, at Worlds this last year. Um, I've fallen back to um, something really close to my very first list at a tournament, um, which, which is Leia and Sabs and Obi-Wan running around smacking things. Um, yes. And, I mean, it, it just it, it keeps the game lighthearted. It, it keeps the game pretty positional. Um, you know, giant hunter swings are not dominating or, or Vader wombo combos. And, yep. Um, yeah, so I, uh, anyway, after that, I think I'm probably going to try to build back the Chewbacca Dracata Wookiee list, um, seeing if debts repaid can really can at all compete with Son of Skywalker or Blaze of Glory, um, because on paper it doesn't, and in, in tournaments it doesn't, but maybe with, uh, with Tress Hacknoa or somebody in a list, uh, out of the new figures, it, it might have a chance. We'll, we'll I, I, yeah, I'm, I, I say go for it. I mean, I think Chewie, the more I think about Chewie, the more I think he is, he remains, well, I, I don't think this, he is fundamentally unsolved, right? And so he might not be yeah. as good, he might not be as good as Jedi Knight, Luke, or Han, right? In terms of like, Son of Skywalker is probably better than uh, Death Repaid, and Han is probably better for his points for two for two attacks instead of one attack. You know, blah blah blah. But it's like, well, but like, think about like he's like kind of a weird combination of both, right? And so that, it's just it's interesting to think about. I'm gonna start thinking about Chewie after I've run the course with Jedi Knight Luke. But. Yeah, yeah. And I think huh. I think maybe Chewie Han's the answer because people try to focus down Chewie first a lot when they see him and. Uh, if you leave him back a little way and make make them come into the middle space to do it, um, Han and some some friends are going to punish him. So. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. I love anyway. it. Awesome. Good awesome. stuff. Well, again, we want to thank Ben for coming on. We want to encourage everyone to join us on the Slack channel by sending an email to zionsfinestia at gmail.com. As Ben said, we are already in the midst of the No Top 16 tournament, but the, we're going to use the Slack channel as the forum for facilitating future Vassal tournaments. Um, this, this tournament is very much for fun, but also for, for a lot of experimentation. Um, and I think it's a great resource for new players and, you know, people are just kind of looking for a breath of fresh air. So that's another great reason to join the Slack channel. Support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Zion's Finest so you can get our sweet alt arts and maybe even get some tokens. And that's it. Ben, we want to thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Kenny. Have a good one. <laughs>